On page 180, we look ahead to Ant-Man Quantumania ahead of its release this weekend. We have another incredible episode of The Last of Us. We also are going to review Magic Mike's Last Dance, Puss in Boots' Last Wish, Women Talking, EO and Blue Jean. One of which is my favourite movie of 2023 so far. Which one? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. All that and more still to come. Right, welcome back to episode 6 of page 180. Guys, it's happening. We're here. This is actually becoming a real show. I believe it when we get to episode 10 that this is actually a real show. And like I said, not just a New Year's resolution. But like, I'm enjoying this. I hope those of you who listen, all like 12 of you are enjoying this. Um, And yeah, look, I want to keep keep doing this. Give me feedback as well. If there's something you like, if there's something you really want to see more of, or if there's something you want to see less of, I'm very open to that as well. So get involved. Let's make this a back and forth conversation. Conversation. This weekend, we've obviously got the release of Ant-Man Quantumania, the latest installation in the MCU and the first Phase 5 entry. It's going to be exciting. I cannot wait. I'm getting psyched up for this as, as I get psyched up for every MCU entry. And like, that's funny because, you know, the MCU has kind of been a haven for controversial takes. Well, I don't know about controversial, but... You know, it hasn't been the reliable universal hit that it it got used to being, perhaps through uh, phase three. For me, part of that is because it's become a haven for bad takes. Sometimes when things get so popular, it's just part of pop culture. There'll be an inevitable backlash because we love to build things up and tear things down. That's that's part of culture. Um, like you get little things like uh, uh, things that I hate hearing are uh, why was Thor a comedy character in Love and Thunder? Uh, that came out of nowhere. It was totally pointless. When we know the answer, like if you'd watched Endgame and you'd seen that, uh, he literally decided at the end. Like he went through a traumatic time where obviously, and spoiler alert, if you haven't watched all of the MCU so far or Infinity War or Endgame, um, he, they lost at the end of Infinity War. Thor took that personally and was a sign of weakness on his behalf and, and had a breakdown, became Fat Thor. And then at the end of it, when he redeemed himself, then decided, I'm not going to try be Thor, son of Odin anymore and King of Asgard. And I'm just going to be myself. And we saw him do that. And also as well, that fits in with kind of, trauma storylines and how people evolve you don't just click your fingers one day or something good doesn't happen in your life and you just become untraumatized you tend to evolve and become a new person after you suffer a trauma so Thor becoming a new person and becoming the guy we saw in Love and Thunder for me made total sense again I'm not saying it was a perfect movie and I'm not saying any of the movies in MCU in the MCU phase four or any of the TV shows Marvel Studios produced for Disney plus and so on particularly uh, Moon Knight like I'm not saying that they're all good Moon Knight was a disaster. It was an absolute snore fest. There was one good episode and the rest was just, what are we actually watching here? Look, it's hit and miss, but I think we kind of got a bit spoiled by phase three and expected and, and kind of put a bit of a revisionist history on it and said, told ourselves that every MCU movie was amazing beforehand and that this is now a crisis when that's not the case at all. Phase three was just spectacular. We got Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, obviously, fantastic. You had the debut of Spider-Man. You had Civil War. You then ended in Infinity War, Endgame. They were firing on all cylinders. But again, that was a particularly amazing patch. This is also the same 
studio, which and I don't mean this in a bad way because I love the MCU, brought you the Incredible Hulk. It brought you the second tour. I can't think of the name right now, uh, which was an absolute disaster. That's how, how much of an impact it left on me. They've had misses. Iron Man 3, I didn't like Iron Man 2 either. Again, there's there's a lot there that they missed out on. Um, and, and it is inconsistent. For me, when I look at the MCU, I kind of see it as a victim of its own success because they built up these expectations through that stellar phase three many of you will know that i love pro wrestling and again like i don't want to kind of bore non-wrestling fans by getting too deeply into this but i'll just kind of make a point that that wrestling fans will be able to appreciate and will maybe contextualize what i understand Uh, one thing i saw was that wwe used to produce two hours of content on television every single week and those two hours for the most part were quite good but then once they started getting more popular and once they started expanding more they had to they had more demands to produce more regular content so they started producing and three-hour shows on Monday and two-hour shows on Friday. And when they started producing more content, that meant the resources were stretched and the content started to become hit and miss. It wasn't that, that like the, all of the content was that bad. Like some of the storylines when they hit, if you think about the likes of Becky Lynch's rise, like our own Ireland's Becky Lynch, uh, her rise to becoming, uh, you know, a, a main eventer. If you think of the likes of Sami Zayn right now, some of the storylines are as good as any, you put them aside, any great wrestling storyline from the past. Uh, but again, like it's kind of that middle area, which is a bit more hit and miss. And that's the same with Marvel. Again, they're, they're, they're expanding out to Disney Plus. They're doing weekly TV shows. We have to get used to the fact that not everything is going to be amazing because, again, they're just expanding and there's such a global demand for what they do. And that's okay. I'm okay with it being hit and miss. I'm okay with the discourse as long as it doesn't become a bit like Star Wars got during the the most recent movie trilogy and it just becomes fans attacking the thing that they're supposed to love and a bit toxic. I'm okay in us discussing if something was good or bad and debating that. Wakanda Forever, for example, I had very different opinions to a lot of other people, but I enjoyed having those discussions around it. And that's part of being a fan and part of having an opinion. Not everything has to be amazing and it's not a crisis if everything isn't amazing amazing we enjoy being marvel fans we enjoy look at this feeling of it being a week where a marvel movie is released and making our plans around it or kind of talking to our friends or getting hyped or theorizing and so on so let's just enjoy doing that and that's exactly what i'm going to do to get kicked off i want to kind of talk you through some of what i'd like to see from ant-man quantum mania and again this is all very personal again i don't expect them to cater personally towards me and i'm not going to hold it against them if they don't but these are just some random wish lists that, that i'd like to see first off and i can't believe that they haven't done this in some degree and, and i hope they at least reference it in the movie or show a clip of it in the movie at the very very least there's been a thing in the MCU, particularly after the blip, where we see characters speculating about the events, particularly of Endgame, but just in general, like what happened with Thanos and stuff like that. And we're like, how did they know that? And then a Miss Marvel it came out that Scott Lang started a podcast. Amazing, amazing concept, amazing information drop. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it. And the reason I loved it is because like he is the one character in the Avengers who would start a podcast and try to cash in on this fame. Amazing stuff. Um, I'm surprised they never followed up on that. Again, I hope that we see at least a clip of it in this movie, but why did we not like, again, I know it's crazy expensive. You're not going to like pay Paul Rudd to run a podcast for you, but like, and, and then obviously you need to get screenwriters involved and you need to make a decision. Kevin Feige, you need to oversee. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Why not just give us one episode on Spotify as hype for this movie? I'd love to see it. 
like on a more serious note, I really want Marvel to reassure me that the concept of a multiverse isn't wasted on them and that they have the creativity to do something beyond the disappointment of ideas that came with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, I know they were unfortunate enough to be released at the same time as Everything Everywhere All at Once, and that ran rings around them for what could be done in a multiverse, but... I still would like to see them do something beyond pizza balls or green light means stop. There's an opportunity here, lads. Uh, let's just do it. And I know, and like, I know they're going into the quantum realm. Um, but again, like this is about multiverses. We've seen Kang in, in the end of Loki talk about like, you know, the variants of them and stuff like that. I'd like to see some, some different variants, not just the one that we seem to be getting. Um, and that means traveling to different worlds and different multiverses because that's that's where we're going and that's the roadmap that they've kind of told us we're on. Like one thing I'd love to see, for example, is get super meta about this. Travel to our universe. Like go in and like where uh, Scott Lang all of a sudden comes across Benedict Cumberbatch and he's and like there's a monster chasing him and he's like, quick, Doctor Strange, we got to do this. And Benedict is like, what are you doing, Paul? Get away from me, you little weirdo. <laughs> that's what I want to see. Get super meta. Like why not do that? Like what what's stopping them? Are you? universe is presumably in this multiverse so let's just go there why not it, like they have to do that at some stage or this is a waste to be honest um lastly the one thing i really don't want to see is and I, i've no idea by the way i'm not a a comic book like I, I am a comic book guy i like to read comic books but i don't have the religious kind of um knowledge of that as a as a lot of other people so i don't know what this is based on i haven't read the comics this is based on but i really don't want to see scott lang die we're losing enough avengers and enough kind of ogs and i appreciate they are trying to renew it and they're trying to bring in the young avengers and that's probably going to be a part of this without kind of getting too much into what i know there so I, I don't want to see him die, but I do want to see him lose. And there is a very interesting point where um there, there's a quote in one of the trailers where it's like, I don't need to win. I just need us both to lose. Um, I would like to see him lose. And I would like this. I like it when the likes of Marvel or Star Wars end on a sour note and when the good guys don't win the day. Uh, I feel that's interesting, but do it in a way where Scott Lang survives. I, I, I'm not ready to see the end of that man. I, I'm okay if he retires and goes off into the sunset and like he's he's fulfilled his contractual duties, but gives a podcast. Um, but I really, really don't want to see him die. Anyway, look, we're going to discuss it next week. We're going to discuss it in depth in the, into the spoiler verse as well. So it's not just going to be my review. I'm going to get people on here and we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion. So go see the movie this weekend. We'll come back and we'll have the discourse. It, the movie doesn't have to be the best movie ever. Let's just go. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. And let's all just enjoy discussing it as fans afterwards. Anyway, speaking of discussing and enjoying things as fans, let's get to the reviews of the new releases from this week. We're looking for a cat. This cat. We've got an offer for him. What could they possibly want to offer Puss in Boots? What's a Puss in Boots? Seriously? I told you health department people, there are no cats here. Make her talk. 
Excuse me, my darling. We're looking for the legendary Puss in Boots. Have you perhaps seen him? Too soft. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is DreamWorks follow-up to the 2011 Shrek spin-off movie and the Netflix show which ran from 2015 to 2018. The plot sees Antonio Banderas' Puss hesitantly enter retirement having realised that he's burned through eight of his nine lives, but he is inevitably coaxed out when he decides to upstage Florence Pugh's Goldilocks and her three bears in attempting to steal the Last Wish relic from John Mulaney's now big Jack Horner. On the quest, he finds himself teaming up with Sama Hayek's Kitty Softpaws and Perito, played by Harvey Guillen. Movie employs a stylized animation style, which is very similar to Into the Spider Verse, which is also a move away from the more realistic animation styles of the Shrek franchise. So this obviously changes how the movie looks and feels from previous iterations. But for me, it was an excellent move as the dynamism of the animation made it feel fresh and visually distinguishable from the likes of Pixar, which is obviously trying to avoid. It's also the longest movie in the Shrek franchise at just over 100 minutes. I honestly had no intention of going to see this movie until not only did it get nominated for uh, Best Animation Oscar, but people who'd seen it were certain that it deserved to be and held its place there alongside strong opposition such as Turning Red, Pinocchio and Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Look at it this way, Toy Story this week announced its sixth movie, if you include last year's spin-off Lightyear, was going into production 13 years after they gave us the perfect ending for a trilogy with Toy Story 3. That was released three years following Shrek limping meekly out of relevance with its third and unquestionably worst offering. And yet somehow, here we find ourselves in 2023, rolling our eyes at Toy Story being unable to just let it go, while somehow, via this spin-off, the Shrek wheel continues to spin. Nine lives indeed. This is the most impressive feat of Puss in Boots The Last Wish. It isn't a particularly great movie for me that you need to go out of your way to see, although a lot of people disagree, and if you look at it, such as the ratings online, and obviously it's got nominated for awards, uh, different people feel different ways, and you may do so as well. Uh, I think, for me, I got one proper laugh-out-loud moment in the movie, but the plot is coherent enough, the characters are clever and likeable enough, and the animation is enough of a visual treat that it justifies its existence. Harry Guillen, for me, steals the show as Perito, given the movie both its most reliably funny moments as well as its moral centre. And any fans of his from What We Do in the Shadows will know that Guillermo is finally getting the roles he deserves in what should be a breakout. Meanwhile, Banderas continues to nail what I doubt he imagined would end up being his career-defining role. Pew's Goldilocks and the Essex-inspired Three Bears, led by Ray Winston, hold the movie together while Mulaney manages to ham it up just enough to make a character that could be shark-jumping in other hands into something very funny. Funny and very entertaining. If you have a child in your life and you have a Saturday afternoon you want to do something fun with, this ticks the boxes of something the kids will love and the parents will find interesting enough to keep watching throughout. Which, again, more than it's just a really funny movie, you'll find it more interesting for how the hell they've managed to keep a fairy tale metaphor going for this long and it still actually works. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is not too cold, it's not too hot, it's just right. And that's pretty impressive 22 years after what seemed at the time like a one and done movie. In Shrek. What's up, bro? Two, Two vodka sodas? Two vodka sodas. Wait, I know you. You went to state, right? <laughs> state? No, definitely not. Huh. We've definitely met. Uh, no, I don't know. Sorry. Don't freak the guy out, huh? I'm not. <laughs> Holy shit, I got it. You really don't remember? I don't know. Is it at my store? No. You were a cop, right? What's your name? Kim? <laughs> uh, 
yeah, like way back in the day, yeah. I want to tell you about my weird Friday afternoon last week of watching Magic Mike's Last Dance by myself in a cinema. It was an impromptu Sam Hayek back-to-back following the polar opposite movie that I saw beforehand in uh, Puss in Boots' Last Wish, which I just spoke about. I haven't actually seen any Magic Mike's movies beforehand, and I don't say this out of bullshit, toxic male pride or anything like that. Each their own if you enjoy this. Uh, that's perfectly fine. They just held no real appeal to me, and I must have either been single at the time whenever they were released, or I never got dragged to them. So they just passed me by, and I was fine with that, but also fine with whoever liked them, liked them. But part of the gig of me having a movie review show is seeing the movies that everyone's going to be talking about. So there I was, cringing to death in the cinema on my own and laughing as Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek romped around the room in one of the early scenes of the movie that and I kind of leaned on my go-to defense mechanism of just like making jokes to myself as Hayek started dancing back with her own moves while uh, getting a lap dance from Tatum and I just kind of started thinking of Conan O'Brien and the Simpsons where if Tatum just turned around like no only I may dance Um, so that what was going on I was cringing throughout and, and you know what fortunately the movie decided to let me out of my misery and it just wasn't extremely explicit sexual scenes while I was watching it by myself uh, presumably like again the staff weren't thinking about me but I was thinking I hope the staff don't think I'm weird or creepy in here <laughs> the story follows Mike again obviously of the title character played by Tatum who swears that he's quitting dancing since I don't know the backstory that led to that decision I can only assume it's because in the previous movie Magic Mike XXL his entire family died in an unfortunate stripping accident that I imagine had something to do with slipping on baby oil or something like that. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't guess, but like I assume that was kind of the vibe as you go in. Not really. Uh, anyway, look, he, he doesn't dance anymore. He's bartending at a party and an old client recognizes him, tips Hayek off about his sexy past and Hayek's millionaire character offers him big money for one last dance and that ends as predictably as you can imagine. Uh, my first impression of the Magic Mike movies, or at least this one in particular, is that this is porn for people who pretend that they don't like porn um, and Hayek's character arc replicates this identity crisis to be honest as she tries to recruit Mike then to direct a high-end London stage play because she's convinced herself that he's got a vision and somehow this becomes uh, it's like it's an art movie and it's something that it really isn't this is a movie this should be a movie about a stripper and like how people fancy him and stuff like that it should be very lightweight fair but somehow we end up in an absolutely farcical attempt at a plot filled with faux intellectualism as they try to convince us that all of this is mad high art and it's told with a silly narration via a teenage character in it who's writing a novel about the proceedings of a movie and it's literally just like you know what the novel should be was put his lad on the table there was a loud clatter and and that should be what it is but again they try and make this into something way above what it actually offers the stakes and the motivations of everyone involved are never even clear uh, which was which makes the dramatic turns and the swings that they take just pointless and laughable uh, they attempt at points to pretend this is about really high minded topics like terms like repressed misogyny imbalanced power structure systemic economic equality or female empowerment they're just thrown around as if the movie is going to get around to addressing them but it never does it's just trying to make you think look it's not porn it's not porn you're very smart and you're very uh, intellectual for going to this movie that's what it seems to be telling itself it's like why why are you hiding from this just be who you want to be and like for a movie especially what surprised me here is that this is the movie that's completing a trilogy and has been quite successful and 
that just came off to me as really insecure. This movie exists because Channing Tatum and Selma Hayek are really hot and people go see it to get a few cheap trills and give themselves some new material so they, they can pretend this is what's happening when they close their eyes with their partners during sex. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that if that's what you want. I'm baffled why this movie had to try dress itself up as something that it wasn't. Instead, when you get glimpses of what the movie really is and it just embraces that, like one scene where there's a bit of a mini flash mob on a bus, it's really fun and entertaining. Why not just make this the whole movie? Of course, it all ends in one big show and guess what? That's entertaining. That's good because the movie is doing what it's supposed to do. Channing Tatum clearly worked his arse off for this and that's impressive. Why were they holding back all this time? I can only imagine that it's because this is the third movie and they've just run out of story ideas for how to get Channing Tatum and a bunch of rip lads near naked and joyriding on the stage. But here's an idea. Just do that. Literally just do it. Just don't even like go with a plot. Nobody gives a shit about your plots. Go call it Channing Tatum is ripped and he's going to get near naked on stage with a bunch of other hot lads. And people will just go see it anyway. If it's on the big street, they'll just go see it. You don't even need to call it a movie. That's what people are there for. Stop telling yourselves that this is a movie or we care about your characters or their arcs or storylines or that it's intellectual somehow. You'll still make loads of money. The people who go will be happy and I can go see something else and I'll have to sit there and vacillate between awkward, bored and confused. Magic Mike The Last Dance Thank God for that. Ho mangiato chili e chili di carne. Centinaia. Anzi, una volta ho mangiato anche il salame. Quello vero. Carne d'asino. Non sapere di che sa. He owes Poland's Oscar nomination for Best International Film and was successfully nominated going up against the likes of Von Colleen Kuhn in the next few weeks. Directed by Jerzy Skolomowski, the movie follows the likes of Donkey Eo as he's given quote-unquote freedom from a Polish circus and embarks upon an adventure that allows us to see the best and worst of modern Europe through his eyes. It reminds me a lot of War Horse and I'm surprised a lot more movies haven't used this storytelling device as it's both extremely simple but supremely effective. Seeing the world through EO's eyes obviously limits our purview to what he reflects upon but allows us to fill in the blanks meaning we fall upon moments of realisation organically which allows us to hit much harder. Through his eyes, we, we both zoom into Poland to get an up-close look at the ills of football hooliganism, while also zooming out and examining more universal subjects such as the hypocrisies in how we say we care for animals, the gaudy affluence of wealth, the unequal treatment of animals depending on their perceived or tangible value towards humans. 
If you're thinking that it sounds a little bland and boring, I understand, but you'd also be wrong there. Beautiful cinematography from Mikhail Dimek fills in the blanks with phenomenal lighting, lush locations and long shots making this an absolute joy to watch. And at just 88 minutes, it breezes by. This is stunningly effective and that it reflects back not only the hypocrisy and disposability of humanity, but also how beautiful the world could be versus what it becomes because the choices we make that, when viewed through EO's perspective, seem just needlessly cruel. To hammer this home, we sometimes switch to a red filtered lens, which underscores the constant looming threat that EO has to live with while not causing anybody harm and just wanting to exist. In the end, without revealing any plot, we see that EO, like the rest of us, I suppose, just gets on with things and survives day to day, absorbing the shit the world throws at him in search of those few fleeting moments of kindness, connection and love. This is the first movie I've seen in 2023 that I absolutely loved. It's my favourite movie of the year so far. And though I'll still obviously be rooting for on Colleen Kuhn in the Best International Feature Film uh, Award, I won't begrudge this any success it comes upon. Go out of your way to see this one. Hey! What are you doing? You need to leave. Why? You know why. Do whatever you want. Wherever you want, but not here, okay? Why do you care so much? You're 15, you shouldn't even be in here. So what? Haven't told anyone, have I? Hey! Go. Otherwise you're off the team. What? Boof. Wait. Tell us what you were doing in there so I know. She's one of my students. She's on the team. What? Are, are no, you... No, of course not. Then why didn't you say something? I don't know. You're lying. I'm not. Look. It's complicated, OK? Blue Jean is Georgia Oakley's BAFTA-nominated debut feature in cinemas now. Tells the story of title character Jean, a PE teacher in late 1980s Newcastle. Jean is a closeted lesbian who has found a healthy work-life balance of enjoying her job during the day, then socialising in the underground gay scene by night. That is until a new student arrives and threatens to tear the walls down. There used to be a segment on Conan O'Brien's old late night talk show called Member This, where Andy Richter would list off basic things from the past and then yell the segment tagline in response. And that's how the early part of this movie felt to me. From watching Blind Date to listening to classified football scores on the radio to hearing reports of Margaret Thatcher to co-workers discussing this new diet fad, Slim Fast, the movie shouts at you from early on that it is set in the 1980s and very much wants you to know. Instead of giving one or two context clues then allowing us to figure out the rest for ourselves, it relies on heavy exposition dumps via regular radio reports about new anti-promotion of homosexuality laws enacted by Thatcher's government and the resistance against that. Characters also speak to each other in very grand, sweeping banalities. The lesbian characters, for example, pulling Jean in one direction are quite literally telling her to be loud and proud for who she is and set an example for her students. The homophobic bigots in her life are saying the opposite. There's also very little that actually happens too. Throughout the movie, there are constant attempts to create a sense of tension and dread, like Jean's secret may be exposed at work, but we've no idea what 
that the stakes involved may look like because one, nothing's actually happened to lead to this threat uh, until inevitably something does. And two, beyond a few careless insensitive comments from co-workers, we've no idea what would actually happen if the secret were to unfurl beyond Jean saying that her job would be at risk on a couple of occasions. It's that lack of natural flow and the inability to get hooked into the stakes properly, that insecurity in setting a scene and just allowing a story to unfold that holds Blue Jean back from being a great movie for me. Which is a shame because it does have a lot of positive qualities and the idea that, that forms the movie's backbone offers a lot of potential for a fresh take on the struggles of being gay during a period that that wasn't accepted. Rosie McKeown does what she can with the title character and adds a lot of credibility in a very grounded, natural, understated, but effective performance. Relative acting newcomers Lucy Halliday and Lydia Page are also powerful playing students and reflecting the contrast the younger generation faces growing up within the same period. I just struggled to fully immerse myself in the story and characters at times because the movie felt the need to spell everything out so loudly that it made the story feel more like a message than a realistic portrayal. Maybe part of that was Oakley's intent to bring people who live through similar struggles to Jean back to the period and make their stories feel seen. And that is admirable, and I'm sure she succeeded in doing so for those people. But another way that you can make people feel seen while also enlightening others is to just tell a story really effectively. This is getting excellent reviews, so there's a possibility that it was just me. And for the record, I don't feel that this was a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's fine with some high highs. It's just forgettable, whereas it had the opportunity to potentially have been unforgettable. What if the men who are in prison are not guilty? Mother. Oh, child. Why are you asking if they shush. We caught one of them. Ah! I saw him. But only one. Yes, only one, but he named the others. But what if he was lying? We must consider this. No. No, that is not our responsibility because we aren't in charge of whether or not they are punished. We know that we've been attacked by men, not by ghosts or Satan, as we were led to believe for so long. We know that we've not imagined these attacks, that we were made unconscious with cow tranquilizer. We know that we are bruised and infected, and pregnant, and terrified, and insane, and some of us are dead. We know that we must protect our children regardless of who is guilty. Forgive, leave, or stay and fight. That's the decision at the hands of women living in an extremely isolated religious colony after it emerges that they had been drugged and raped by their male captors. A vote is called where it is dead heat between staying and fighting and leaving and 11 senior women are chosen to make a final decision on behalf of the colony before the men return. That's a conceit at the heart of Sarah Pulley's Best Picture nominated Women Talking, which is based on a true story of a Bolivian colony. For me, this was divisive, all being with the understanding that I'm probably not necessarily the audience that the film is looking to speak loudest to. First, the good. It's an excellently made movie. Polly writes and directs her first feature in a decade, and her passion and TLC for the project is clear to see. It's visually arresting, with the darker lighting conveying both the time warp the colony is stuck in, we learn that the events take place in 2010 throughout the movie, which which could easily be mistaken for the 19th century at other times, as well as the urgency of their discussion with it appearing to be almost constantly sunset as it's clear the sun is coming down one way or another on life as they know it. There's a permanent sense of peril and doom that lingers throughout. The ensemble cast are fully bought into the concept and maximise the stakes by all bringing their A-game to reflect the perspectives needed. Rooney Mara's owner brings a joy and hopefulness for a better future. Claire Foy gives the steely determination needed to potentially galvanise people into fight 
fighting. Jesse Buckley adds the fear and reminder of the everyday threat they face, while Frances McDormand remains trapped in the status quo and unable to evolve her thinking. Supporting performances from Ben Whishaw uh, as the teacher who's the only male allowed into proceedings, and trans character Melvin, played by Liv McNeil, only add dimensions. I also admire the brave choice to live up to the movie's title and fo- focus on the discussion itself rather than the potentially more dramatic consequences of the decision. It also it allows all sides to be stretched out in a very true-to-life manner, which will make a lot of the audience feel very seen. Now for the parts that didn't connect for me. This was a very melodramatic movie. Characters tended to monologue rather than discuss. Situations would just escalate unprompted just because the pacing called for some drama to ensure it'd break things up and the audience were still awake. It's very hard to stay locked in on something that speaks at you rather than to you and doesn't seem fully based in reality. Also, the characters tended to speak in soliloquies while we're expected to believe they were denied education. So when someone is profoundly able to not only navigate, but communicate complex emotions in a short space of time, but then minutes later complains of not being able to read a map or knowing where they are, it does kind of take you out at the moment, at least for me. I understand why this decision was made, but I feel that there's a way to do this while remaining congruent and true to their characters, especially considering this has its roots in a true story. On balance, this was a film that I admired rather than enjoyed, one that I'm happy to see nominated for awards, but will definitely never choose to watch again. One that will definitely speak to people, but not necessarily to me, and that's all right. Welcome to Killer City. No, Fedra. Not as of 10 days ago, no. You always heard Casey of Fedra was... Monsters? Savages? Yeah, you heard right. Raped and tortured and murdered people for 20 years. Hey, you know what happens when you do that to people? The moment they get a chance, they do it right back to you. But you're not Fedra. No. Worse. I'm a collaborator. All right, here we go. Uh, For those of you who were on it early, obviously this week due to the Super Bowl, The Last of Us aired early uh, on Friday night. Uh, It was on demand over here via Sky or now or on HBO Max uh, internationally. So uh, we obviously got on it and we're meeting up earlier than usual. Uh, We're having this conversation on Sunday because we just couldn't wait. To, to talk about this episode. It was absolutely phenomenal. The story of Henry and Sam, Endurance and Vibe. We're going to go into the spoiler verse, guys. So look, there will be spoilers from this point on. The usual real spoilers that we have here. If you've seen the latest episode, you're grand. You're up to date. You don't have to play the games. We're going to discuss some of the games, but we only want to do that to be able to, um, like, to be able to please people who played the games and kind of reference kind of the things that they will have noticed, but also to enhance people who haven't played the games and give some backstory as well behind it. So don't worry, we're not going to give any plot spoilers for anything beyond this episode. If you've seen it, you're safe. But if you haven't seen the episode, go watch it. If you haven't watched it, what have you been doing with your life? Uh, come back to us and listen to our review uh, joining me this week uh, we only have one Kevin we've got uh, the one but it's enough it's it's more than enough the one and only <laughs> Kevin Keane uh, joining us uh, from fan club Kev how you doing I'm doing really good Rick Really, really good. Uh, are, are you emotionally Jer, broken? Jer, Jer, we'll get Jer. this. Finale, this like, the finale of this, you're going to be like... The finale, there'll be, there'll be one episode I get through without calling you Rick. I swear to God. <laughs> we've, been like, we've been chatting for like 20 minutes now and I haven't even got it once. And then it's just like, soon as he is... It's, it's when like, the red hey, light Kev, goes on. Yeah, yeah. The red light goes on. It's like, Rick, shit. Damn it, Jer. <laughs> I'm doing good though. I'm doing good. Doing good. He, 
Good, good. That's what I like to hear. Look, I'm dying to talk about this, but first off, uh, we're going to get everyone back into the mix, back into the episode. We're going to do our alt recap and uh, remind everyone of the episode we're discussing, and then we'll chat about the episode. So, we kicked off this week with an in-depth look uh, at Sam and Henry's backstory that led them to Joel and Ellie at the end of last episode. Uh, we learned that Sam is deaf, as is the actor who plays him, uh, if you didn't know that, which some might call a handicap, but I think it's a real advantage here, in a way, because now he doesn't have to listen to the loud minority, a top toxic video game fans whine that it wasn't like that in the games it was different um, back in the present Henry and Joel agree to team up and try escape from undergr- the underground where they encounter an old makeshift classroom where people had obviously tried to care for kids there was toys there was comic books and there was even a soccer goal uh, Joel and Henry rest their feet and have some gruff dad chats like they're dropping the kids off in the giraffe center while Ellie and Sam play some soccer and in true American style Ellie was pretty class at it while the lads they were a bit muck to be honest um, but just as it seemed like we made it all the way to safety they came across a sniper which Joel had to sneak around to dispose of in a kind of scene that was uh, like all of us anyone who's played the game has it burned and seared into their memory in this case Joel finds an elderly man with a terrible shot behind the scope uh, and this is where like Kathleen's plans start to come apart for me because I don't know why Kathleen thought that sending Uncle Albert would work as the last line of defense <laughs> but it goes down alongside I'm gonna shoot the only doctor in the village out of anger because some bald lad told me my mate couldn't be saved in the terms of awful decision made decisions <laughs> made by the lead of the NPCs and just as it appears that appears that our heroes are in the clear again the entire NPC army arrive to take out four people again awful strategy by Kathleen what is she doing this is like goes down in the pantheon of sending all the king's horses and all the king's men to mend an egg who's minding the town Kathleen so you can try to murder children what are you doing why is this the plan this is literally the definition of putting all your eggs in one basket and the plan works about as well as it deserves to is an absolute shitload of infected emerge presumably from underneath the sign that Kathleen and Perry encountered last week saying warning a shitload of infected and with an assist from Joel behind the sniper rifle our heroes make it to safety or so we think as in the safe house Sam confides in Ellie that he got bit during the melee instead of you know telling a grown up Ellie tries to heal him with her blood the drama which was a bit undermined a bit when she started singing like Jesus from Family Guy shock horror the cure for mankind isn't wiping your bloody hand on someone's cud as Ellie awakes to an ambush in the morning. Out of instinct, Henry stops Joel and takes out Sam himself before turning the gun on himself when he realizes what he's done. I don't have many murder-suicide jokes and would really rather not start bawling my eyes out again by reliving this on a Zoom call. Uh, So I'll just say it was all very sad and that was episode five, Endure and Survive. Um, Henry and Sam, we met them here, Kev. Mm -hmm. Very... Important characters to both the story, to Joel and Ellie's evolution, but also to like the characters that gamers like us hold deep in our hearts. Yeah. Did they do this justice? They they did in a different way because of the way TV is formatted, I think. Um, because in the and I I don't mean to kind of start being like in the game, but <laughs> In the game, you 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 spend a lot more time with them, mm. I think, and there's even a section in the game where the you 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 and um Sam get separated with so it's Joel and Sam and Henry and Ellie, yeah. And there's you you you've a lot more time kind of getting to know the characters. So in the way they did it, this way, um, they did do it justice, but I kind of felt like it was an overly complicated way of doing it. 
Okay. Um, I think the whole, um, the whole story of why Henry had to do what he did to get to get um Sam's leukemia medication as well was a far too overly complicated plot point. Mm. Instead of just like in the game where it's just uh they're on the run from raiders and that's it and that's all you really need to know. But I get why they did it to give you a bit more. To give them a bit more heart and thank you give a shit about them a little bit more. I think I think that's the reason why they did that. But it was just for me, it didn't really work in a way. Mm. I kind of felt the game did it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and that's fair. And and like again, with the advantage of having games is look, you're you're spending 20 hours with these people rather than, yeah. than, than nine or ten that we're getting, you know. So that makes sense. And and you're actually living with these people. And there's like you said, the kind of part where you're broken up and like it's it's I think it's Joel and Sam and Ellie and Henry. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You get as Joel, you get to kind of know Sam and you kind of get to build a relationship with him in a way that you just don't get the opportunity because most of the time you just see as you saw in the episode, they, they covered this very well. You see Ellie and Sam playing in the background, but that yeah. is very much happening in the background and, and Joel's focus is where it is. It's similar to the way it is in the show. What I think they were going for here is I think they were going for Shades of Grey. And what I liked about the way they portrayed Henry and Sam was Henry kind of doesn't even see himself as the good guy when he speaks to Joel and in the clip we, we had that preceded this he kind of says I, I'm actually worse than Fedra I'm a collaborator you know and, and mm. Joel's, Joel gets up on his high horse like I don't work with rats <laughs> and it's like you were literally dealing drugs to a Fedra guy <laughs> like a few episodes ago what are you talking about Um, but with that as well like there was kind of this aspect of we learn how good of a person Kathleen's brother was and I kind of had a feeling like we even texted during the week where I'm like could Kathleen's brother have been ish like I was kind of yeah. getting a bit ahead of myself but like I was kind of thinking could he be a good person and could that like could there be a bit of more complexity there and I think that's what they were going for Um, we'll talk about how the NPC's legacy will be as well but I think they were trying to they were trying to show all sides here and they were trying to say look nobody's good here nobody's bad everyone's just doing what they need to do to survive and like they're these they're just intersecting their stories are intersecting and that's just what's happening and we we say that Joel and Ellie and Henry and Sam are our heroes but that's just because they're a point of view characters maybe yeah. they're not heroes there, there could be a world where we just look at this through slightly different lens or it's edited differently and Kathleen and Perry are the heroes you know and a few weeks ago they, they got rid of Fedra like the murderous kind of Nazis like if we looked at it then, we'd probably see them as heroes. And we might, if you if you told it from their standpoint, you might view Joel and, and Henry and Sam as, as kind of, um as the villains of this piece, which I, I think is interesting, whether it succeeded or not, I, I don't know. I did really like this episode. Like this episode I, for me is, is up there with episode three, like because the highs were really high for me. Anyway. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a shout. Um, I, I wonder though, if they were going to make changes to this for TV, I wouldn't have minded Henry and Sam's fate doom being a bit different. And like you said, as a crossover of paths and they got to go their own way. Um, and we just don't never maybe ever see them again. I think that would have been an interesting kind of thing. Cause I don't think you really maybe needed that level of bleakness. I think at the end of this episode as well. Okay. I, um, and that would have been, I think that would have been a nice welcome change. I think. Okay. From the, I... from the game. I disagree slightly on that. And 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 let mm. me kind of talk about what and we're obviously going to get into this, but we may as well just have the conversation now. We're 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 talking about it anyway. So for me, 
I think that was necessary for what we're saying because we've been having this conversation about Ellie the past few weeks and is she a psychopath? And we kind of, Ellie's a complicated character. She yeah. has a lot of different evolutions to go through as time goes on. Um, and kind of we need her to go on that journey with her. And we kind of wondered, would Joel just bring her back to the light? And we've seen that happen like there where like, you know, this week you have Joel kind of more accepting of the further role and kind of you can see him kind of softening as time goes on. And that's just an evolution of what we discussed last week. Um, But I think there's a bit of push-pull now with Joel and Ellie. Like for me, the ending and the way it happened was important to keep because it humanized Ellie. Having Sam around humanized Ellie and losing Sam like really brought it home. It made her a bit more like Joel, if that makes sense, because she kind of learned what it was to, not that she was Sam's carer, but like she did care for Sam and she looked after him and she tried to cure him. Do you know what I mean? And then she kind of felt what Joel felt when Sarah died, for example, like in caring for someone and losing someone. And and there there's her stakes. Whereas yeah. Joel, for example, I think it was important to get this because when that happened, we're seeing Joel soften and soften. But when that happened, I think Joel was reminded of, oh, that's how it feels to lose someone that you care for. Like he saw what Henry did and how Henry reacted. And if 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 Tommy hadn't been there, Joel could have done the exact same thing once Sarah died. Mm. You know what I mean? He could have easily yeah. done himself. Because I think it that needed to happen to kind of push our characters both closer together and further away at the same time. Do you know what I mean? That's a fair point, yeah. Yeah, you I guess I mean being mm. very much affected um we will we'll circle back to that anyway because again we'll, we'll, we'll get into the ending but like yeah ish we spoke about last week and we we kind of said that we were hoping they could actually like just do a flashback or something or flesh out this story yeah they didn't and and kind of craig mazin and neil Druckmann spoke about this on the hbo podcast and they said they they actually did and i was very happy with this because they're like we talked about it and we're like we could easily do this oh no way but they were like, I don't think we could do it better than what happens in your imagination in the games by reading it. And we'll actually leave that there for gamers. It's incentive for the gamers to read it. But we'll throw in that reference. Again, I'm not saying that that's the right thing, but it felt very seen. Like, I'm like, that meant something to you too when you actually yeah, thought about yeah. it. What did you feel about um, having it just kind of, just the little nods that they had to that? Because again, like... Because it was it was really just the, the picture, wasn't it? Of yeah. the two, like... You can kind of, I think it's good that you can kind of put your own story maybe as to what happened there mm. or who Ish was of maybe they were a Fedra soldier that turned against Fedra and has set up this, this, this community as well. I think that's a really cool, it's, it's just like having, having something as simple as that and letting, if, if the audience cares, cares about it, or even gamers as well, f- decide what they want that to be, I think is a smart choice, I think to do because yeah, like you're right. They're they're limit. They're so limited on time. And even now, I'm at the end of this episode. I'm like, we've only like what four to go, and there's so much more story to tell. Yeah, having a as an ish flash uh, flashback, a flashback. Um, <laughs> flashback works. <laughs> having having a, a an ish flashback um, would 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 maybe have just kind of cut into time, kind of better spent in in other places. But I I love this. It was just that little reference, or it was. Like watching the first episode again, where you're like, "Hey, it's that!" Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Leonardo DiCaprio meme all over again. 
I like I'd forgotten as much as I remembered the story, I'd forgotten about the picture, and that mm. was the way because I'm like that was such a meaningful moment. For anyone who doesn't know, like again, I I don't I I'm kind of torn between two two minds of of what to tell you. I recommend first and foremost either play the game or if you're not a gamer, there's like a cinematic at the end of at the end of the series. Like follow through the series if you haven't played the game. Is first thing I'd say because look, you're here for the ride anyway. There's no point in spoiling it for yourself for the end of the series. But there is a cinematic playthrough of it on YouTube. What I'll do is I'll actually link to it. So you, by the time you see this, it'll be up on the page one eighty pod Twitter. So I'll link to it through that. There's a cinematic playthrough where someone has gone through all of the game. And they've condensed it and edited it down in a cinematic style. Like they played it through and got the most dramatic shots of even like normal character actions and so on. Um, And that way you can follow the story. So it's around five hours in total and you can kind of get the story of it. But basically it was essentially what you saw. It was, they basically, you know, rescued a bunch of kids, tried to give them a normal life in the underground in the game, you get a bit more of how it happens. And I kind of mm. encourage you to kind of explore that as well. That's there if you kind of want more, like, because this is going to be the type of show we're going to miss when it's over. Um, But again, like, there, there, there's ways to do that. So, yeah, no, that, that was really good. And I, I felt really seen. And I'm glad they at least acknowledged it as well, because that was an important part to, to, to me. And, and I know, obviously, we discussed it last week to yourself, too. Yeah. Let's talk about the NPCs. We were a bit on the fence about them last week. Um. And like, so again, on the podcast, Mazin and Druckmann, they spoke about not wanting to make them generic bad guys and give them a sense of purpose. And we've kind of discussed that already. But now we can kind of, now that they are no more, because they sent the entire army in after two children. (laughs) (laughs) And they got kind of what they deserved when, when they affected. How did you feel about that side of things? So how did you feel? Did they succeed in kind of fleshing out them? Was that worthwhile doing or... Could they just have been generic bad guys and we focus on on kind of the people we need to focus on? Like, I get what they're going for and why they did it. I think Kathleen wasn't, I don't think, I don't buy her as as a a villain at all. Mm-hmm. As her, like, I think the actress even that plays her, I just, I don't buy her as being a villain. But they kind of just went a bit too pantomime with it in terms of her like proper arch villain, like map, 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 map kind of. <laughs> It was it was just a bit too over the top for me. And you got Perry there who's like, what are you doing? But I'm going to follow you anyway because your brother was sound. And yeah. that's, uh, it just, it didn't work for me with, with her at all. It wasn't believable. And it's it sucks because like, I get what they were trying to do. And it just, that didn't really flow for me. Mm. Um, It is always great though, seeing a villain like her uh, ignoring a problem and then having that problem come back to bite them at the end, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. always satisfying seeing that. Um, but yeah, it just it didn't really work for me. It's too many stupid decisions. Yeah, and like I think I admire that they went for it. I I respect the mm. fact that they went for it, even if for me it didn't fully work. I think I don't know if it's necessarily a problem with the portrayals. Like I think. I, Melanie Linsky, the the actress who played Kathleen, um, people might know her from Yellowstone as well. She's kind of got a, got a cult following, and people are very happy to see her in this. 
she put up a, a tweet and a thread kind of about, you know, what she was looking to do. And she was looking to kind of give a voice to people in society that you wouldn't necessarily see, like particularly women in society who you wouldn't necessarily see in positions of power, but they actually have a lot to offer in that role. And she wanted to kind of give that perspective of that. And, and again, I admire that she did. And I think she did her best with what was given, but I think there just wasn't the time. Do you know what I mean? We had so much to get it that you almost it. needed to be a season in, in unto itself to be able to flesh out and get what they wanted to achieve. Like from. I want, I wanted to know her brother to make it just her actions seem justified. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Rather than just but, know that he was a good lad, like and yeah. that's all. Like why was he a good guy? Like all we learned is that like he he said to forgive uh, Henry, which okay, yeah, we like Henry, so sound lads, fair play. Um. But, but that's it. Like, there's no example of him doing anything. And I know Perry kind of made that point where he's like, yeah, he he was nice, but he didn't actually do anything. You got rid of Fedra, so we're going to follow you. Mm. But again, yeah, I would have liked that perspective. It's, just, it's like you're there just because you're his sister a little bit. And they're just like, that's the reason they're they're following her. That's the, the, the way I kind of felt it was portrayed anyway in, mm. in the show. And uh, yeah, it just it just just didn't really work for me, unfortunately. But yeah. um, it, it's interesting you know, that that thread. I must read that thread though. That um, of what you were saying about portraying certain people in society, kind of as that character, because like nobody, nobody's perfect. And then if you if you do have that re- revenge in you, you all you want or all you can see is revenge, and you're putting it over these really big problems that you should be dealing with yeah um and i guess everybody can relate to that a bit as well kind of like if you're yeah any any it's just it's very human but i just i wanted a bit more context of of, of her brother and what he did and, and why she was so hell-bent on this yeah. revenge yep yeah. i'd agree um and again, like, you know, it, it'd just be if they had five more episodes, I probably loved everything because they would have had time to flesh out. But it is what it is. And that, and, that, and that's fine. Again, mm. this is a good episode. I enjoyed it quite a lot. So, I do feel like we're being a bit negative because you know, yeah. I also loved it as well. I yeah, feel like that's we're getting it. nitpicky with it. Well, like, it is what it is. And I think it's mm. fair because, again, I think other people probably might have felt that way as well. Or maybe you didn't. And feel free to tweet us in if, if you think we're being too harsh. Now. Let's talk about things I think we'll agree on in terms of positives, Okay. Let's talk about the infected for the first time, as expected. We got a bloater here, um, yep. and we got the attack. And if you're looking to make now, again, I'm not going to do the past few weeks. I've kind of done a video game section where I'm like, this is the similarities to the video game. I think now, and I think from here on out, as I'm trying to map it out in my head the last few episodes, I think it's going to be very faithful to the game from here on out because there's a lot of story. I think early on, they needed to kind of flesh out a lot of stuff because there's a lot of empty gameplay that happens in the early stages yeah. because you need to learn how to play the game and you need to just learn how to fight and take out characters and stuff whereas once you know how to do that they get really into the story and they're like they kind of there's constantly stuff coming at you so i think it's going to stay very faithful so i'm not going to do that side by side comparison um but and i kind of assume that everything is like the game unless i tell unless we tell you otherwise um but this was in one hand, very similar to the game, like the the sniper part, and and again Joel trying to take out the NPCs, and then the infected coming along. But it was much more intense in the game. There was a lot more, and they happened a lot faster. What did? And again, we not only did we get bloaters, we also got child clickers, yeah, <laughs> who are contortionists, which we don't get any of that in the game. That's brand new. What yeah. were your thoughts on on the first real 
big infected attack. The only time we've seen them move in this is kind of the end of tests, and there was no, there wasn't really a battle there. This is the first proper big infected battle scene, which people said they were missing out of this. So, what was your thoughts? They really gave it to us here. What what was your own oh in in spades? Like one thing I I will say, I didn't curse as much watching this as I did playing the game with a fucking sniper. I got killed so many times in that, but. Um. Yeah. As as the first huge proper wave of of uh of clickers and stalkers and runners, it was just it was panic, and it was it was just the intensity of them coming out of that of of that hole, and this fuck all soldiers, and then you got poor Ellie and and Sam and Henry just in the middle of it all then as well, and it's just at that point, I didn't know what they were gonna do with Henry and Sam as well if they're gonna yeah. change it and. I I I was like pure kind of like uh you know, yeah being a being a little bit uh drunk watching this last night as well but I think my emotions were probably a bit higher but like uh, t shirt over my face just being like oh shit oh shit oh shit but um yeah the the pure the pure panic and that was always just geniusly done and then you have the initial wave and then you think oh this is absolute terrifying and then you see the hand come up with the blow yeah yeah <laughs> and you I'm, I'm from playing the game like you know how badass this this enemy like is as well so uh it was great i really really loved it one thing as well actually that was mentioned in earlier in the episode which i think gives this scene even more gravita is they're talking about um having killed clickers before and sam is like you've killed two clickers it's like such a huge big deal to, yeah. to henry and sam that they've killed two of these guys and then you get this whole uh, emerging of tons of them coming out and the pure panic I'd say Sam and Henry probably had of just seeing all of them compared to just two which they were terrified of yeah. was brilliant like as well. And I love that they emphasize that how big a deal it is killing clickers because yeah. it should be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love really that about is, it as a little detail. And when you do that, like, again, look, being honest, in the games, killing clickers, when you figure out how to do it, go yeah. behind them, shave them, grant. Um, but, like, it's not that hard after you get used to it. But the first time you come up against them, you're terrified. And you're mm. like, oh, my God, they move so quickly. As soon as I step on glass, they kill me. Um, it is terrifying. So, yeah, I agree with that. The power scaling is something they've got really right here. I loved Absolutely. The, how they handled the bloater. The bloater is essentially unkillable. And that should be the way. Now, it's in the video game, you have to kill him because you can't move without killing him. You can't have a bloater without fighting him and you can't continue the game without killing him. So, but like, you have nail bombs, you've got Molotov cocktails, you've got flamethrowers, you've got stuff that, that and, and you've got the shotgun as well, which to do will do the job for you. Um, you're obviously not going to have that. And I love the power scale in here. Like, Perry, the one thing oh, we Perry. know about Perry is that he is a badass and like. I love the way that they show, like, because again, that is the way that they did that was like just the, the pulling, the beheading, just literally beheading. It's, it's the game. Yeah. It's it how is. you get killed in the game, isn't it? If you it get is. killed by the bloater, yeah. It was awesome. But I love the fact he was just firing shots after him and the bloater's just like, you're just, you're tickling me, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I, and that's what I like because again, they've done that really well in the show because first off, there's a difference between you being Joel in the game and killing 300 people um, and, and and also like infected as you go throughout the game. That's different because you start the game having your daughter killed and there's this a big emotional reaction and this need for vengeance on behalf of the player as well as just necessary to get through the stages of the game and wanting to continue onwards that you have to kind of do that. So there's almost a disconnect in the way that there is with video games. 
we spoke about this, I think, in the very first episode. I don't think you can do that in a TV show. I think if you see mm. Joel just walking up and straight up murdering people, like even the fact that they made a choice here, like when he encountered the sniper and he didn't want to kill him. He saw this is an old man and he's like, yeah. please, please just put the gun down. Wait here an hour. That's it. That's all you have to do. I don't want to kill it. And he's begging him not to do it. And then. I think, yeah, he goes think for his he, gun, doesn't he? Yeah, I think, I, and Mazin and Druckmann call this, he, he's like, he's going for death by cop. He knows he's going to die here, but he's like, look, I, I'm old. I've lived a life. Like, yeah. fuck this. Yeah, I'm done. Um, And he's he's happy to kind of kill himself uh, by kind of going after Joel or take his chances at least. Um, But like, again, it, it, it doesn't hit the same scene, murder, but also it wouldn't hit the same. We wouldn't, if, if it was as easy to kill the infected as it becomes in the game as you have to get used to it i don't think they'd have an impact whereas this had an impact because it's like the guys are fucked did you know what this reminded me of it reminded me of game of thrones and it reminded Ball me of, of the bastards is it no it reminded me of do you remember hard home oh yeah the episode so yeah. that is for people who don't know by by episode name it is where john snow goes to the wall to try get uh the others to go along with them and then yeah. the 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 what's it called the white walkers uh, attack uh in th- their thousands and quickly but where remind me of it most was now they were going for fellowship of the ring actually they were going for fellowship of the ring where the goblins attack mm. uh, that that scene but i found it was hard home because it was like there was that quiet stage where it was like, what's going to happen here? And then all of a sudden, it was so intense, so quickly. And it's like, you're going to fucking die. <laughs> and it's like, oh my, <laughs> oh my God. And and even when you know what's happening, even when you know who has to live and who has to die, like, again, you're kind of like, I'm pretty sure Ellie's not dying, like whatever about Henry and Sam. Maybe they can if they want to change it, but Ellie's not dying. But even then, you're kind of like, no, everyone's dead. Like when, when the kid clicker gets into the car with Ellie, you're like she's dead. Yeah. There's there's no way out of this. There's no way out of this. <laughs> I did. Oh, I don't want to nitpick again, but I did have a little problem with that too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Clickers go for noise. There's a yeah. gunfight happening outside, and that clicker went in the car. I'm mm. like, it probably would have gone towards the gunfire, yeah. but you needed to have that moment. It's just, it's just it's a silly little nitpick, but I kind of felt like that clicker probably would have probably gone towards the gunfire but at the same time it's tv you need some moments like that in tv so i get it yeah um, and it was nice and it was nice having that weird fucking contortionist clicker oh my like, god it was do you know what it reminded me of have you seen twin peaks um, i haven't no i missed that there's, there's like there's a character called bob there's, there's a, it's a scene where and he's a, he's a he's a demon essentially that's that's climbing over this couch in a living room and it was just in a really hot just non-humany kind of way and it just reminded me of that um, the way the the clicker was just kind of contortioning over the oh, seats of the horrible. car to get to Ellie, yeah, I, that that did give me kind of just that vibe and just made the hair stand up in the back of your neck kind of thing. It's great. I, I I hear that and like I I get what you're saying and and yeah, from like that part of it where you know we are gonna be kind of oh know, it's stupid nerdy nitpick. We have this, that, like. but like <laughs> I, I I do get it, but I think where you're gonna use artistic license, I yeah. feel that both that and also you could say the exact same thing about Kathleen's death. But it worked like, and then that, that even reminded me a bit of Game of Thrones. It was like the Arya Stark with uh, the Night King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like jumping up from <laughs> out of nowhere and just being like, ah, you're dead. It was so, uh, it was so bad. And it's just what you wanted for Kathleen as well. It's like, thank yeah. God we got to see her like uh, get caught. Yeah. So um, I loved it. But I get it. I do, I do appreciate that. that uh, and it's a fair point to make. Um, and that, that is something though about her character that was 
you're you're she's you're she's purposely annoying you so when that death does happen you're like cheering yeah and i think that yeah. that's kind of maybe what they were trying to go for and i get that like as yeah. well because i did cheer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was a good she was a good heel in that sense like, yeah, yeah that's that's exactly what it is yeah that's a really good point yeah good heel yeah um let's talk about the 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 end then and kind of the where they re-traumatize us with mm. the kind of retelling of that um certain like uh, obviously creative license taken to kind of amplify it as well like ellie Kind of trying to cure him with a, with her blood, um, and then there were little bits where, like for example, he he told her that like I don't think that happened in the game where he told her, um, that he was sick, but they had that relationship, um, and and then like Ellie kind of trusted him, like she didn't she didn't go out and tell Joel because like Joel yeah. would have been like within seconds, <laughs> Sam would have been dead, like, um, mm. and I think she knew that as well, so she wanted to kind of believe, um. How did that hit for you, the the Henry and Sam death scene? I know, obviously, we had a discussion around whether they should have gone different, but, like, with the way that they did it. I will say I loved, and, it, well, it was just, it was heartbreaking, I say, but I, I did love how they did it, of just the desperation of Ellie trying to use her own blood mm-hmm. to cure this. It was, it was absolutely heartbreaking, because you're like, you know, you're like, that's not how it works, yeah. but she's just trying. And I really, and I've seen a lot of people complain about that online, um, that it was just it was a bit silly like what 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 are you doing trying to like rub your blood on it but i think it was just because she's a kid like she doesn't know he is a kid she's just she's just trying whatever like whatever she knows and i lo- i loved that desperation like you'll be fine you'll be better in the morning and they just leave it in the morning and it was that will you wait up with me all night as well oh. Like, oh man that was hard and i did think that was done better in the show than the yeah than the game yeah, like they're they're able really to kind of right. have those little character beats in that because they needed to kind of flesh it out. I I didn't hate it at all because there's two different things at play there. Ellie is for the first time in her life getting to experience being a caregiver and being yeah. the person like in that role rather than being cared for. So there's part of it where you know she doesn't want to like I I don't hate that decision to do it because first off she's a child she doesn't know how vaccine works she's just told that like. You know, she she's immune. You're immune. And yeah, yeah. She can she can help save humanity by doing it. So she's like, you know what? We're gonna bust out the vaccine powers. But kids don't know how vaccines are made. Fucking hey, none of us knew how vaccines no. were made until COVID happened. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Learned a lot very quickly. So like again, she's like, I'm gonna just go for this, and I'm fine with her doing that. Why not? And if she's ever gonna go for it, it's gonna be now. But there's also two other things at play. One is there's a kid who's confiding in you, who's worried, who's scared. First off she's not going to want that to happen. So she's going to like try convince herself that this kid's not going to die on my watch. Um, But then there's that part of it where even when you know, like if you're looking after a kid or someone vulnerable like that, and even if you know they're fucked, you still have that instinct to want to protect them or make them feel better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think part of it was that as well, where she's like, no, it's okay. Don't panic. Please don't be scared. You know what I mean? And I think it was just a combination of things. So I didn't hate that decision at all. I thought that was, that was yeah. really, it was really and good. Him kind of clearly being scared because he's bit and he didn't want to tell anybody about it. And then they kind of exchange what they're scared of then as well. Their, their fears. And that it just got more and more just heartbreaking. And it really, whatever it was psychopath Ellie we had in the last few episodes, this really humanized her yeah. in a huge, huge way. It's interesting um, because we didn't see that coming. We're like, she has to come back in some way. She can't just continue to go down this path. And obviously we were talking about whether it was Joel. Again, 
for what we think is coming. I don't think that could have been possible here. We didn't think it would be Sam. We just didn't see that coming, but that's no. exactly what happened. Also as well, that's a great call out. And I love that scene where they were kind of sharing their fears. There's one thing that, again, I think is an important takeaway from this. Ellie kind of sharing, I don't want to end up alone. That's mm. something that I think, take a mental note of that, everyone. And this isn't giving away spoilers. It'll just, knowing that and remembering that, that wasn't a throwaway line. That is Ellie telling us something fundamental to her character. And when you see her make decisions, and I think even as far as the next episode, this will begin to become relevant. When you see her making decisions, that fear of abandonment and that fear of ending up alone, um, that's core in everything that Ellie does. And it's very crucial to her character. So again, just view everything Ellie does through that lens of she's a person who doesn't want to end up alone. Um, and even the decisions that she makes that are nonsensical, like seconds later trying to cure Sam with her hand. Um, yeah. Like, you know, that that's what's driving that. You know what I mean? She'll try anything to not lose people around her because think about it, she's an orphan. She suffered a lot of loss, presumably. We haven't really got into that. I feel like we're going to. Um, she's spoken about hurting people and stuff before, so she's alluded to stuff like that. So um, yeah, there's there's I think, yeah, that that's something that's that's very important to to kind of take away and understand about Ellie. The ending then, obviously, Joel burying Henry and Sam, taking time where I don't think Joel necessarily previously would have done something like that. That's a I fair think, point, yeah. Yeah, what what did you think of that? And as well, obviously, then you, you kind of led... Ellie, I'm, I'm sorry, that broke me. That just killed me. Like, mm. that that killed me worse than anything. The, and I'm like, I knew all of this was coming, but that I'm sorry just ended yeah. me completely. I was watching it with a friend there. Um, I, was watch, I watched it a second time with a friend, and... Um, they were kind of being a bit cynical around it and they were saying like, oh no, this isn't that bad. Like again, like, you know, it's sad, but like, I'm not going to cry. And then it's like, that's not the part. And then literally when they did, I'm sorry, they're like, oh my fucking God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's the part. <laughs> that's the part. Um, what were your thoughts on that kind of little addendum that that's. I, lo I loved it in terms of how that ended and her, do you know what? There's a part I think after the, the sniper bit in the game isn't there where you do come across a kid's grave mm. and I, th I think Joel I think Joel says some line of like this is this grave's too small to be an adult or just something like that and you kind of just alludes to it being a kid and it's like that shot of the two graves kind of a, it was a little throwback I think to that which is a really nice little touch um, but it was Ellie walking off I think as well and it's been like come on like Joel would have done it was like a path it was like they've they've changed it's like you saying earlier they've absolutely just changed their roles a little bit after after this and i i loved that about it um brilliant brilliant end that's that's what really and like you said it's like heartbreaking but that passing i don't even say passing of the torch but it's just it switching of roles really i think um is it was just a great way to end that episode and and it's going to continue to be in flux like so mm. like you know now you have Ellie being the hardened one and Joel being the one who's like, we have to pay respect to these people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas previously Joel's like, yeah, let's leave these people dead in the highway because I've got to protect the people I care about. You know what I mean? That's how far Joel is coming back. But also as well, now you have Joel obviously being very, like he's going to have time to think. Like they say they're going to walk to Wyoming. That's a long ass walk from Kansas City. They're going to walk to Wyoming and presumably during that walk, he's going to think and reflect on Jesus, I just spent time with someone who lost everything. Like we kind of said, Sam, the way Henry's life ended could have easily been the way Joel's life ended. You know what I mean? And that's going to yeah. kind of be playing in his mind. So 
I think now they're both in very traumatized, vulnerable states. They're both bonded, I think, because of that trauma. But I think they're yeah. also going to be mildly pushed apart because of that trauma. Because I think it's it's setting off fears that they have. It's setting off fears for Ellie of her not wanting to end up alone. And it's setting off fears for Joel of if you care about someone too much, you know, you, you can get, get really hurt. hurt. Yeah. 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 I, I, and, and, and like, I think that, that sets us up in a really, really interesting place um, ahead of next week. Um, so overall thoughts, reflections, kind of where is this sitting with you in terms of the overall overall episodes? Is this the best episode of the season? Season, where, where, where are you kind of ranking this one? This is number two for me. I still think episode three is the, is the best one they've done, to be honest. It really is. But uh, this is probably number two, I think. Even though like, if you've listened, if you've listened to this entire thing now, you might feel like, that way. <laughs> oh, they hated this episode. No, I I did. I really, I've loved yeah. it. I watched it twice now, and I've I've loved it both times. I just kind of had different like experiences watching it, drunk and sober. <laughs> <laughs> Real duality. Like this is yeah. a guy doing his homework. He's getting yeah. drunk just especially to see what's the drunk experience like. <laughs> Better. <laughs> I I thought it was gas. <laughs> like, wow, you're a weird drunk. <laughs> um, anyway, look, emotions are running high. <laughs> we're gonna take a break from the Last of Us next week, but we will be back to it for the last three episodes. So when we come back, we're gonna kind of reflect on it. We're gonna have a double kind of episode catch up, and uh, yeah, we're gonna see where we're at then as we're kind of veering towards the end. We're nearly there. There's only four episodes left, man. It's this is passing way too quickly, but uh, there so much story. Yeah. I know so much good stuff still to come though I cannot wait uh, Kev always a pleasure follow Kev uh, online at Kev Fan Club uh, and yeah looking forward to continuing to discuss this with you in the future weeks that's all the time we have for this week next week on the show we're taking a break from The Last of Us but only because we've got such a stacked lineup we're going into the spoilerverse for Ant-Man Quantumania I'm also going to catch up with my old pal Jerry to talk all things Star Wars ahead of The Mandalorian Season 3 plus reviews of Marcel the shell with shoes on somebody I used to know and I'm also going to check in at the halfway point of your honor season two. In the meantime, my name has been Jerry Leggett, and until next week, this has been Page 180, and everything is great. <laughs> <laughs>